As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss, but more importantly, it's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a nice podcast that's going to give us a little more hope and a little more joy because it is a podcast that is going to be talking about how we handle our grief. So today, I have Eleanor Haley and Lisa Williams, who have just written a book called What's Your Grief? List to Help You Through Any Loss. And I think it launched or it, it's out available as of yesterday, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Thank you guys so much for coming. I, I'll start by just telling you when my husband died, I was like, what in God's name? How do we, where do you start? And what the hell planet did I land on? And I mean, I was 40 and I was in a world of just like baseball and carpooling and working. And I was like, I don't do dead people. And I will say the logistics of death the first year were as consuming and as shocking as his death. And his death was really shocking. So I I many times thought during that time, like, don't we have a manual for this? Like the coroners, I didn't even know what a coroners was. I didn't want to, I didn't understand how expensive death was. I didn't understand insurance and hospitals and mortuaries. You don't, mortuaries are not fun. You don't go there unless you have to. So I think what you guys are doing is awesome. I've always thought this was needed it's not a book that you want to be buying, but it could possibly be a book that everybody should just have in case somebody does die because it turns out people are dying all the time. So thank you guys. And I was just telling them that I don't normally do podcasts with two people. So I'm going to kind of speak to them individually or let them pass it on. But Lisa, do you want to tell me why you guys wrote this book? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we never necessarily set out thinking that we were going to write a book. We have been in the online space 
providing grief and bereavement support for a long time since 2012. And when we founded What's Your Grief in 2012, it was really because we were mental health professionals who were working with people who had experienced primarily traumatic and unexpected losses in Baltimore and all over the state of Maryland, really. And we were providing grief support from the time of their loved one's death in the hospital for two years, for as long as they needed it, but around two years afterwards. So it was a really broad time frame. It was people all over with a lot of different needs. We both had experienced personal losses ourselves. And so we really, when we were working there, though we were working in this capacity, supporting people grieving, we really connected over our personal experience with loss and with what worked and didn't work for us in the grief support space. And we, at that time, especially in 2012, like there was just so little and what was, or what was out there online was just stuff that did not resonate with us. That was not what a lot of the people who we were supporting really seemed to need or be looking for. And so that was really where we started was in that gap. We started this online space and community. We started writing articles and really just blogging about grief. And it just grew on its own really quickly. I think there was this gap and all of a sudden people grieving and mental health professionals who hadn't received any training in grief were suddenly kind of coming to the site and asking for more things. You know, the print materials were bad. The continuing education for therapists wasn't what we really wanted. So we just kind of started plugging different holes that we saw personally and professionally in the grief support space for death loss and for non-death loss, because that was this other huge gap. And so I think, interestingly, this book came out of the fact that we that we never necessarily set out to say, okay, we really want to write a book. There were some gaps in the grief book literature that we felt like were there, that we felt like from our experience over the last 10 years working with people and through the What's Your Grief community that we could kind of fill with this book. So that is the long answer to a short question, I think, of where we ended up with this. Okay, perfect. No, I think it's a, it's something that we need. And Eleanor, can you tell me a little bit about the website and where, where it started? And then also, can you guys just touch on kind of, because the first thing I asked was literally, what's their grief? I think that's what I said when I first heard that we might be speaking, because I think it's really important that we understand where people come from, what their loss is, and then what made you move in that direction. So Eleanor, can you touch on those things? Yeah, well, it, it's directly connected to the story that Lisa just shared. We saw the gap in the types of resources that were available. We thought that there was not enough that was more comprehensive. There was a big gap between grief research and the academics in the grief world and people. <laughs> so we saw a big gap there. People needed to kind of distill it down and make it accessible and understandable. And then a lot of the resources, just they weren't that relatable to us. I experienced the death of my mother in my early 20s, right as I was pregnant with my first. So it was a, a whirlwind experience. And so I was looking for the stuff that I would have wanted at that time and then for the stuff that I wanted as a professional. And we said, you know what? We've complained about this for so long, sitting in our little cubicle. Let's just start blogging online and see what happens. You know, we thought maybe we p- other people wanted to talk about the types of subjects we wanted to talk about in the way that we like to talk about them. And I do think over time, we have slowly grown to a place where the people who really resonate 
with the the stuff that we want to talk about and how we talk about it, know where to find us now. And so we've just like slowly grown very organically over the years. And so that's that's what's your grief. We have over 600 articles now. And going back to how you first started this podcast talking about how it's not just about the grief of the loss, the emotion of the loss. It's about just this logistical nightmare that you are finding yourself in. We wanted to leave no stone unturned in terms of talking not just about how do you grieve the person or the the loss, but how do you live your life? Like, how do you take step by step, day by day, move forward? And so that was a big piece. And we wanted to address the barriers and the complications, but we also wanted to talk about a really wide range of coping tools. And over, I guess, like 10 years now, I think we've finally grown our library to a place where we feel like maybe we, we're meeting that need, hopefully. So that that's what's your grief. And that's really the heart of, of what we do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because if we think about it from a timeline, you know, 50 years ago, people weren't talking about grief. So if we look at our grandparents, you know, I think my grandfather's yeah. mother died and we just never spoke of her. It just was never spoken of. And then, you know, my my mother, my grandmother, her father just left her. We don't know if he lived or died, but again, never, I don't even know their names. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, in the we started talking about things. We started being a generation of people who were like, oh, we have feelings. And then we got this thing called the internet. And so grief looks so drastically different now than it did 50 years ago because the connections are there and the ability to talk to people that are going through it. But, and it's still just as miserable as it was. We just deal with it differently. So I love that we're starting to pick up resources that allow you to go through your grief the way you need to. And actually, I, you know, I, I feel like I always talked, I talked to a lot of widows where I live in Los Angeles and it's really, it's a beautiful thing now to have these resources and have places to go because, and books to read. Cause if you read a good book, if you get a book after someone's died, like the first three months or like some type of spiritual book or, or something like this, where you can open the book and be like, what the hell do I do with the ashes? You know, like I don't know if you guys write about the ashes, but I I just, I found that that was like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I I'd sprinkle them somewhere special, if I just give them my kids in their backpack and they put it where they wanted them or, and so I just love that you have a community of people that can ask the questions that you only ask if you have a dead person. Yeah. One of the things that we always talked about from the beginning is just being a place where when you are like laying awake at two in the morning with some of these questions, these random questions that you could just roll over and Google it and hopefully find somebody talking about that. We might not have the perfect answer for you, but it's a conversation starter. Maybe it points you in the direction of somewhere else. So I think that is such an important thing. And one of the, like you said, wonderful benefits of the world we live in now is that we can share information like that. And we can normalize these experiences a lot more easily than we used to be able to. Right. So, and I I read that you guys started this during the pandemic or you started writing the book, correct? We did. Did did that have to do with your practices that people were coming in with either maybe not not death grief, but grief about the life that they had before the pandemic, or they knew people that were sick or people were afraid? What what kind of triggered that? Was was the pandemic part of that movement towards putting this into a hard copy? So I think in some ways it, it both was and it wasn't. I think in lots of ways we saw that the pandemic was allowing people who hadn't talked about grief to talk about grief and to identify and actually connect with the idea 
that grief is our normal and natural reaction to loss, all types of loss. And I think that had always been part of the conversation on what's your grief from the beginning. I think one of the things, you know, for me and my own loss, though, though probably the first big loss in my life was my dad when I was a teenager. My sister really quickly after that developed a really severe heroin addiction. And I became really aware of how much we grieve people who are still alive when they have substance use disorders. And that like grief is not just something that happens when people die. There's all these non-death losses. And then when I finally, you know, did a lot of my training in mental health, I was working with people who'd experienced home, who were experiencing homelessness and where there were so many losses that were death and non, non-death losses. So we'd always been talking about this combination of things. I think the pandemic took that from something where people would sometimes go, oh, wait, isn't grief just death? To being suddenly like, oh gosh, I do. Now I understand that we can grieve so many things that we lose when our life is turned on its head. And so I think that was something that really did feel important and compelling for us and, and felt like it would be good to be able to capture that in the book. And also just, you know, we liked the idea that we, you know, know that there are some people who love a book and the idea of the internet isn't what works right. for them. So we, we wanted to kind of meet that need too. Yeah, I actually, I, I don't know if you guys see this or not, or if I'm making this up, but I feel like right after the sudden part of death or the immediacy, maybe three months, you know, zero to three months, an actual paper book is much better than the internet for some reason, because you don't get deep into this hole and you're not then Googling back to social media. There's a, there's a meditative sense to holding something that smells like a book and has weight to it. And you sit there in bed when your life is upside down and there's a book. I think the internet, as we move forward, is a resource that we can tap into, but there's a lot of in information coming at you. So I'm I'm really glad you guys put it in a book. And I have some of the questions that I know you guys probably get asked often, but you talk about managing your grief, not overcoming it. And that it's really important that we, we look at it that way and just kind of expand on that. Cause I think, I think sometimes I feel like we, in the grief space, we get really, we get not trite. I don't know if that's the word, but it's just like, everybody has their own path. Like, I guess I always feel like, of course they do. Right. I don't, it's like, I don't, I don't feel pressure to grieve a certain way. I don't know if maybe people do within their families, but I think society wise, at at least it feels to me in our generation, and you guys are younger than me, but we do, we do understand that everybody is going through their own thing. But I think the fact that it never goes away is what is the most shocking part about grief. And it just transforms. So what do you all, what do you all feel about that? Or what do you see in your practice about people that kind of just embrace, like, this is always going to be here. Yeah. So let's let's dance. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've actually been talking about this a lot lately. Um, And Lisa and I, I think, have always been on the same page about this in looking at grief as something that really does stay with us. And the reason why we think that's so important to use the right language around and to normalize is because giving people the impression that you overcome grief sets you up in a couple of ways. First of all, it sets you up for thinking that you're supposed to hit this endpoint that doesn't exist. So you're constantly thinking, I haven't grieved well enough to get to this place. I think it also sets you up to think that any negative emotions associated with grief are things that you should rid yourself of and not things that you need to kind of learn to 
experience and tolerate and integrate and possibly even learn from. And so we really feel like it's important to normalize that grief. It's very normal for it to stay with you. If that's not your experience, then that's not your experience. If you feel, or if you want to talk about it in a different way, that that's fine. But we, as people who talk to all sorts of different people grieving all sorts of different losses, feel like this is not only what resonates in our experience, but also what is most helpful, the most helpful way to talk about it. I have been grieving my my mother for 15 years. It's much easier now, obviously, but I still have days. I still have weeks around the time of the anniversary of her death. I still have so many moments. I have three little girls myself, and I still have so many moments where I'm like thinking about my mom, wanting to talk to them about my mom. And every time I do, I feel that touch of warmth for connecting with her in that way. Maybe if I sing a song she used to sing or use a saying she used to say, but there's the sadness too. There's the grief. And so I think that for me, it resonates the idea that grief, it always stays with you. It just sometimes feels a little more dormant. It might be like that ache that only really gets exacerbated, you know, when it rains, but it's there for many, many, many people. I don't know, Lisa, if you would add anything to that. No, no. And I think that for me, I mean, I would also, I, the only thing I would add is that I think that, that I, that people have this idea that the, the grief is somehow like just the, the hard things that like, I, I think that like the grief is the good things. Like it is the memories and it is the way of being like, Oh God, you know, it's the things, the sayings that they used or the things that they taught me or the way I'm different because of that, this loss. And like, all of that is the grief too. And so I think unfortunately society has this idea that grief is all about sadness. It's all about emotion, you know, rather than being like grief is this spiritual, existential, physical, emotional, cognitive experience. And it has wonderful things and terrible things that are all wrapped up part of it. And it's that connection that we have, the good and the bad. And and so I think oftentimes I find that people find it a relief to think of it that way. And people will say, when I went in and talked to a grief counselor who told me I needed to find closure and acceptance, it just made me angry because I felt like they were telling me I needed to forget my loved one. And, you know, being able to shift that and say, no, that's not what this is. It's about figuring out how we live in the world and have a relationship with the dead and still make space for all of the life that you can live after that person. We can do all that together. I think for a lot of people, that's a relief. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, God, I would love for the, uh, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I'm obsessed with this idea that 
you know, 20 years ago, if somebody was driving from Florida to California, we couldn't contact them. We wouldn't know where they were. We had no GPS. We didn't, they didn't have a phone. We just had to hope and pray that they were still, you know, they were still there and that we could still somehow talk to them. And then eventually they would get to a pay phone. And if we were at the phone at the exact same time they were at the phone, then maybe we could talk. Well, now we like can talk to people in Paris on FaceTime. So when people are like, why are you so obsessed with the relationship with the dead? And, you know, I'm I'm just a big believer that the technology just hasn't caught up to what is the truth, which is they're not gone. This is just, a, this is just how we look at it right now because we don't have the equipment. We don't have the cell phone to wherever they go yet. But one day, as we evolve, we will. And I think that's why religion has come up with heaven and hell and all these, because we don't know. So they make something up that gives you either peace or if it's a fear-based thing, gives you fear. But truthfully, this idea that grief, I mean, I keep trying to figure it out and you kind of said it there, but this, this awareness that grief isn't bad, it is. It's just an is. It just is. Birth is, birth is really painful and scary and I'm sure the kid, if we could talk to him while they're on their way through the vaginal canal, they're not like, well, this is a hell of a great time. You know, dark times and tight times and uncomfortable times are part of life at the beginning and the end. And so this idea that grief is a sad thing and we're, we're people that buy your book are sad people and we are sad people that are widows and that we've lost parents. We're actually not, we're actually like broken open. And we're these really cool people that get that this thing is quick and things change quickly. I always say I, I wouldn't I wouldn't wish what happened to me on anyone and I wouldn't change it for anything because I wouldn't have wanted to go through my life without my husband or my yeah. kids. And so what would you say is the biggest misconception? Obviously, you guys are both practicing and you guys are working with people every day. I mean, do you have any advice, you know, when someone first comes in? I get a lot of questions from moms and also that have kids when and you you guys lost your parents so you're on that side which helps cuz i think that's where i get lost a little bit in terms of when do we get kids talking when is it too soon like my 9 year old was like i'm not speaking about it i don't know i'll, I'll you can pay $300 an hour but this mouth isn't going to talk about watching my dad die it's not going to happen and my son was like oh thank god let me share with you what happened that day and he was 12 yeah you know what is your advice for people who have that are going through something and i feel like mothers buy books so i'm just going to talk to them for right now but what do you do when what do you do for your kids from a counseling perspective I can answer. I have three very different children right now. So I have very specific, very specific. I have a 15 year old, a 13 year old and a three year old. Oh, we have so the same. Yeah, thinking of all of oh, you have a three. Wild personality. <laughs> so I think one of the things that I would say about this is also one of the misconceptions and the things that we like to address with adults is that there are so many different ways to cope with grief and so many different outlets. And so our society typically tends to privilege the idea that grief people should talk about. You know, right. we should talk about grief. I was that And way. so for the people who are emotional and who want to talk, there's a lot of recognition, a lot of validation, a lot of outlets for them. But for the people who are not quite in that space, there is often a lot from people around them saying they're repressing their grief, they're not grieving right, and then they may be questioning themselves. Um, and then there isn't that, there are all these signs pointing to these outlets that might work for, for you if you're not a talker. So I think that's one of the things that we validate with adults and that I think is so important with kids as well, especially when you consider the fact that even kids who are who are talkative kids, who like, who are 
like, you know, in touch with their emotions, so to speak, they go through those moody periods where they're just like, I'm not talking to you. You know, I'm going to shut myself in my room. I might talk to my friend or I might like express it some other way. So I think the, one of the more important things is just validating that there are so many different ways to do this. There are so many different outlets and helping kids to explore the different wide range of outlets. If you have an artsy kid, give them a camera, you know, talk to them about the ways that people use art, show them other examples of people using photography and art to cope, um, music, provide them outlets to connect with other kids if they're not going to talk to you. So I, I think just providing them that normalization and then lots of different options. And as a parent, just opening up that dialogue and saying, you know, I, I want to, this is something that's always going to be here. I'm always here to talk to you about whatever's going on. If you want to talk about your emotions, that's one thing. Or if you just have questions about, you know, your dad, if you want to know about, you know, if something you're wondering about him, maybe when he was younger, because I think it's important for us to be that outlet to help kids grow their memory bank of their family members who they maybe didn't get to know as well as adults. So I think yeah. for parents, just opening that dialogue, making yourself accessible, and then normalizing and pointing to different outlets that could work for, for kids. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I mean, I, I wish I wish I'd known. I wish I had just been a little less aggro right out of the gates. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we are going to counsel the shit out of this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to make sure that I know that I did everything possible, that any problems you have, it's on you, not me. Let's get right. clear. You know, like, this isn't going to be my problem. I'm going to take you everywhere. And my kids are just like, mom, we are just sad. There is yeah. nothing we can tell you or say, but we are sad. And please stop dragging us to every psychotherapy you know, and in my book, I write like, like I'm very proud. I had, we did so many things. And now as they get older and they can speak because they're 15 and 17 now, they're like, why did you drive? We, we didn't want to go. Like we didn't have anything to say. Like you were just like forcing us. And I was like, I know I'm a bad person, but I was trying so hard, but go ahead, Lisa. What were you going to say? Well, no, I mean, just to what you said there, I, I think one of the things that's interesting is that you, as, as, adults as parents and whatever, you might feel that pressure from other people of rushing grief and you should go to therapy and you should do this and people will push back. But yet when it comes to their kids, I think oftentimes there is that feeling of like, wait, I do want to rush my kids to make sure that they're okay and that oh, I've done everything and that the, those boxes are all checked. And I, I somehow did something to to make sure that they're fixed or that their grief is fixed. And it's hard, I think, to step back and go, wait, no, this needs to happen in their own time and in their own way. And, you know, we, we can do everything and still it might not end up being the thing that they need. I think that the one piece of, I don't know, or advice is the right word, but one recommendation I've always loved and appreciated for those kids who don't talk is the idea that you can have a, a space in your house, whether it's like a notebook or a, something of just saying, like, this is something that I'll check in with and you can write down anonymous shit to me, whatever, mm -hmm. it, like a question about that, a thing that you're going, like you can just put it in there. You can ask questions and I will write the answer back to you. Like, we don't even have to talk about this. Like we can just kind of do this in this way that feels comfortable. And for some kids that like really works for them. And it's just the space where they go, okay, maybe I do suddenly have questions about like, what was dad like when he was 17 or you know, what was mom like when, you know, mom went to college or whatever that is. And if it's hard for them to say it out loud, it's okay for them to, it, that to be hard for them to say it out loud. It's a, a place that they can do it differently. That's a great yeah, idea. I would, just adding to that, I, I think 
as parents, sometimes we need to step back and let kids be the expert of how they want to handle some of these communications. Like my kids will sometimes, if it's like something they're embarrassed to talk to me about, they'll I, I have teenagers, so they'll text me about it. Yes. And I'm like, I don't want to text with you about this, but it's better than them not talking to me at all. So meeting them in the middle yeah. can sometimes be either all you're going to get or a good start for something that could eventually then be like, okay, you know what? I'm coming up to see you. Uh, we're going to sit down and talk about right. this. So I think being willing to let kids make some of the decisions about what they do and don't want to do and how they do and don't want to talk. Like we, of course, as parents, sometimes you have to push them a little, but also let them push back and explore, like listen to what they're saying if they do push back. Yeah, no, I I love it. I, I just, I think that the our kids are lucky and, you know, their kids are lucky because we are having conversations about things that, and, and I'll, I'll end on this because we will run out of time. But, you know, one of the biggest things I talk to my kids about is, and, and and I think about with myself is that trauma is in your body, not in your brain. So, you know, talking about it, talk therapy, we went through that big time in the seventies and eighties, everyone had someone on a couch and, and it helps. Yes. But a lot of the work around grief is somatic. It's, it's in here. It's, it's how you felt when you got that call or when you walked to say goodbye or you, whatever it was. And so I just love the idea of the new modalities that are coming up and what it will look like for our kids who get to try all the things, to work through what is ultimately just a, a, a goodbye of a certain realm, but it's, it doesn't have to be this like big goodbye. And I, I think you guys are doing great work just kind of talking about something in a way that's not so, it's sad. I mean, grief is sad. We all just like just say that. Yes. I'm, everyone's like, it's sad. I'm like, no shit. It's sad. It's, it's sad forever. But within that grief, there is so many gifts that most of us are just beginning to recognize. And the fact that we don't know that much about where they went or where it is, is really exciting because we're just tapping into what this whole thing's like. So I, I, I think you guys, it's, it's so important. Anything you guys want to say about the book or where they can get it or any last thoughts on how it can be used? No, I mean, the book, it's available anywhere you buy books. We obviously always encourage people to buy local and go to their independent bookstore, but you can find it anywhere else. Get it on Amazon because it's easier. No, I do do the same thing. I'm like, it'd be great if you drove 40 miles to this tiny bookstore, which is the right thing to do. And we wish, but sometimes it's it's, when you're in grief, you're like, I'm actually going to need to order this from I'm going to need to order Amazon or bookshop.org. You can give the profits to your local bookstore and do it from home. So lots lots of options. And yeah, and you can find us. I mean, our our site is whatsyourgrief.com and we're all over social everywhere at at What's Your Grief. So those are the, the biggest ways to get in touch. And yeah, we hope that the book, we tried to really make it bite-sized and accessible and cover a lot of topics in a way that when you're in that moment of, I can barely absorb anything that I can still hopefully absorb this. So we are um, excited to see now as it lives in the world, how it works for people. Perfect. I love it. Anything from you, Eleanor? Nope. Good. (laughs) Does that at all? Perfect. Yeah. Thanks for having us though. This has been, this has been great. Congratulations. I know what it's like to uh, birth a book and it's, it's so awesome (laughs) when it gets out in the world. And when, when you start hearing people that, I mean, you guys already have it from the website, but it's, it's such an honor when you can help people during this time. So thank you guys so much. And I appreciate it. Let me say the name again. It is What's Your Grief? List to Help You Through Any Loss by Eleanor Haley and Lisa Williams. Thank you guys. And we will talk to you next week. 
Thank you for listening. And remember, keep going. It gets better.